0: Indeed, O blessed God, we come before you this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, O Lord, that your word is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and the spirit, of joint and of marrow. Lord, we know that your word is powerful, and your word, O Lord, always does the work that you send it out for. Indeed, O blessed Lord, as we look at your word this morning, as I preach, Lord, I pray that all of us in this building, including myself, would see the glorious grace, Father, of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. May we see, O Lord, that he indeed cares for every single one of his sheep. And may we know this love. May we know this care. And may we find hope whenever, whenever we think of it. Oh, blessed Lord, give us understanding, I pray, this morning, as we look at your word. And I pray these things in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. We've been looking at different parables and making our way slowly through it whenever I come up to preach. And the parable I'm preaching today, as I just read out, is this parable of Jesus or God as the shepherd of the sheep. And there are two parables that Jesus told about the shepherd and his sheep. And one of them is in Luke chapter 15, and we'll be looking a tiny bit at that, but... This one here in Matthew eighteen is the one that I want to look at this morning, and as Joel has been preaching through John chapter ten, Jesus has been saying that he is the good shepherd, he is the one who lays down his life for the sheep, and so this morning, I want to look at what this looks like specifically between the life of a believer and the life of uh, and, and Christ himself. I want to look in more detail about the relationship between Christ the shepherd, and each one of us who knows Christ. And I want to ask you some questions before we start this morning looking at the passage. How important is it, do you think, that we love other Christians? How important do you think it is that we care for other Christians? Maybe here in this room this morning, maybe you don't feel loved by other Christians. Maybe it's different, maybe you're feeling cold in your feelings towards God. Maybe you're feeling distant from God. Maybe you're doubting God and saying, does he care about me always? Maybe you've thought of the question, can I fall away completely from God and are scared and worried about that? We'll, we'll be looking at all these questions and Jesus unpacks all of these questions for us as he tells us this parable. So let's look with me at verse Verse 10. Jesus says this in verse 10. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. And this first point that we're looking at today is the Christian's character. The Christian's character. And the first way that Jesus describes Christians is as little ones. As little ones. If you have a look up with me at verses 1 to 6, Jesus says, uh, it says this, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name, welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. The thing is, if you want to be great in Christ's kingdom, Jesus says here, it's not the the proud, it's not those who rule over every single other person that are the greatest in his kingdom or even belong in his kingdom at all but it's those who are called the little ones. As Jesus says, we must turn and become like children. We must humble ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 29, Jesus sorry Paul is talking about those who are in the kingdom, and it says that God did not choose what is great in the world, or what is wise in the world, or what is lofty in the world, but he chose what is low in the world what's despised in the world, what is lowly and foolish. And so the first thing that we see about the people of God is that they're little ones. They're little ones. God didn't choose the flashy, he didn't, he didn't choose the showy, he didn't people pick people who looked good or had applause in the eyes of the world, but he picked the little ones. And that will come out as, as we continue to work our way through this parable and one of the marks of being a Christian is humility. One of the marks of being a Christian is humility. The next way that the Christian is, is shown is as a sheep. Have a look with me at the first part of verse 12. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 sheep on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? Now the thing is about sheep as I'm sure you've heard before, is that they're totally dependent. They wander easily. They are helpless. They are silly. And the thing is, they love green grass. And if they will see green grass over there, often they will tend to wander away. And the thing is, that's the way Jesus characterizes us in this parable. Not only as little ones who are to be humble but as sheep who are totally dependent those who are helpless and totally in need of God's grace in Jeremiah 17 it says says, cursed is the one who puts his trust in the arm of flesh who puts his trust in man but blessed is the one who puts his trust in the Lord whose trust is the Lord because Not only does humility mark a child of God, but dependence on God also marks the children of God, the people of God. And so as Jesus starts this parable this morning, he wants us to understand who we are before God. We're not those who are reliant on ourselves. We're not those who are to have a high view of ourselves. We are those who are to depend completely and utterly on his grace. And when we understand that, when we understand who we are, we will see our need for grace. We will will see the care that God has for us. And that brings me to my next point, the caring command. We've seen the Christian's character. Next is the caring command. Have a look back with me at verse 10. It says, see that you do, not, you do not look down on one of these little ones or that you do not despise one of these little ones. And the word here is despise, to disregard, to look down on, to ignore, to reject, to not associate with, to not think highly of. Remember what I read out just before in verse 5 when Jesus is talking about little ones he says, and whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. See, so Jesus, instead of saying that we are to care for only some people in the church, he's saying that we are to care for and receive and welcome Every single one of his little ones. As we see God's care for us, as we'll see in this parable, as we see God's love and his tender care for us, in the same way, in the same manner, he wants us to care for other Christians. And so I want you to think this morning, is there anyone here in this church? Or if you're new or visiting, is there anyone in your church that you're a bit uncomfortable with. Maybe they look funny. Maybe they talk in a strange way, not like you, maybe therefore from a different part of Sydney. Do they act in a different way? Do they have a funny twitch? Do they dress a bit shabbily? And the thing is, it doesn't matter whatever they sound like, speak like, look like, whatever it is, whatever background, status, wherever the Lord has taken them from, wherever they are now, every single one. Have a look at that word in verse 10. One. And you'll see that that comes up again and again and again. One. See that you do not look down on one, any one of these little ones. Jesus said this, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So why should we care for others? Why should we care care for for other Christians? Well, firstly, there are siblings in Christ. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. They're also united to Christ, just as we are. Even as Jesus said to Saul in Acts, he said, so, so why are you persecuting me? Me. Why else? Because we're commanded to, as we see here. Next, because we want to, out of our love for others. But here in this passage, we will see that we care because God cares. We care for other Christians because God cares for other Christians. Second half of verse ten says this, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Notice there that the angels see the face of God not just at a distance but they are up close and personal, and the things in hebrews one it says about angels that they are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who do inherit salvation. they are sent out by God to serve. His people, to serve Christians. Now, if the angels we see here of different Christians are seeing the face of God in heaven, then those very angels of every single Christian are being sent out by God to serve every single Christian. took me a a while to work my head around this. But if the angels that God sends to care for every one of you see his face, and if he sends them out to care for his people... Therefore, we should also serve and care for each other. And the thing is, it's not that God just sends out his angels generically to care for uh, everyone, all of his people in general, but no, he sends them out specifically. And when we see that all throughout the Old Testament and even even in the New Testament, for example, when some of the apostles are in prison, God sends his angel specifically to help his people The thing is, as you will see in this parable, that it is about every single Christian that God cares. Not just for Christians in general, although he does. But it's every single one of his people. God doesn't say to you generally, oh, I love you. But he says to every single person here who is a Christian, I love you. Individually. Individually. The word there for angels, their angels, is literally of them. Who are the them? People in the first part of verse 10, one of the little ones. Every one of his little ones. Because God cares for them. We see that again back in verse 5 and 6. Whoever receives one of his children receives and welcomes God himself receives and welcomes Christ himself and his care is so great that if you cause one of them to sin, watch out, beware. Verse 6 is saying, beware. And so God cares for every single one of his people and because God cares for every single one of his people, because God sends out his angels to help every single one of his people, So we too should love and care for and serve every single one of our brothers and sisters in here. So have a think. If there's someone that you don't usually go up to and talk to, if there's someone that you don't usually speak to or hold a conversation with or encourage or tell them you're praying for them or even praying for them, go up to them. Tell them that you care for them. Tell them that you love them because God loves them too. And if God loves them, how could we not love them? Because if God knows and loves us, and we are sinful, if God knows and loves us, then we should, we should love and care for others. And so we've seen the character of God's people that Jesus lays out here. We've also seen the, the, the command, the caring command that God gives to his people, not to look down on any of his people. But next we will see, and I've labeled this, the comprehensive Christ. And I label it that for a reason. Because comprehensive means complete. It means not lacking or not missing anything. If you have anything that's comprehensive, it covers everything. It covers everything. And we will see that our Saviour is indeed a comprehensive and complete and perfect Saviour. Have a look with me at verses 12 and 13. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that has wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. We see all throughout the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, that God is described as a shepherd. As Michael read out for us before in Ezekiel 34, God describes himself as a shepherd. Come back with me to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, that can be found on page 855. Ezekiel 34, and I'll be reading from verse 11 to 16. And I want you to notice... The eyes. The eyes. And you'll get what I mean. But this is what the Sovereign Lord says, verse 11. I, myself, will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel and in the ravines and all the settlements of the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays, as we see here in Matthew 18. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the streak and sleek and strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Did you see how many eyes were there and how many mys were there? God himself cares for every single one of his sheep. He searches them out. He cares for them. He binds them up and strengthens them and leads them. In the New Testament, as Joel has been going through John 10, as I said before, we see that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this. He says, I am the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. He says, I know my sheep by name. By name. Imagine that you suddenly were given a hundred sheep. A hundred sheep. To me, they would look all the same. Maybe that one over there has a bit of a speck, but by and large, they'd all look pretty much the same. I'm looking at my sheep. I look away. I look back. I think they're all there. I think. I start counting. It's pretty hard to count a hundred unless I have to order them. But it's hard. It's hard because I've just seen these a hundred sheep but a shepherd in those days would know every single one of his sheep by name. And in the same way, you're not just saved if you're a Christian. You're not just saved into this, this mass of Christianity, this mass of Christians. Even though we see in Revelation this this host, this, this group of God's people, God knows every single one of those. They're not just a mass, but every single one of his sheep. Imagine... If you're a parent, or even if you're not a parent, imagine if you had a hundred children. I feel sorry for the mother. But imagine if you had a hundred children, imagine how hard that would be to keep them from straying if you went to the shops. Sometimes it's hard to keep track of two, three, or four. But we see here that God's... God cares for every single one of his sheep and not a single one of them can be lost. And I want you to see through four different questions about how God seeks us, why why he needs to seek, seek us, how he seeks us, and what he does when he's found us. Firstly, who is Christ seeking? Who is Christ seeking here in this parable? Now in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the parables of the lost coin. He tells the parable of the lost sheep and he tells the, the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. And there the context is that the Pharisees hate it that Jesus is spending time with sinners, to tax collectors and prostitutes. And yet Jesus tells that parable to show them that God seeks out sinners. It says that he came not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. He says, I have come to seek and save the lost. Now that word lost there means being destroyed or perishing. It's those who are unsaved. And so there in that parable in Luke 15, it's talking about Christ seeking those who are not saved. His sheep from all eternity, but who at that moment in time are still lost. Yet here in this parable, as we've just seen before, Jesus isn't talking about those who are lost. He's talking about his little ones. He's talking about those who are his people, his sheep who are already in his possession, if you like. And the word here in this parable where it says, um, back in, in, in Matthew chapter 18, it says, "...wandered off or gone astray." And that word there means to deviate or literally to stray from safety. I.e. they were already in a position of safety and they've gone and wandered off. And so here we see a slightly different parable. A parable about God seeking people who were already his people. God seeking his Christians. God seeking his children. The thing is God is sovereign both to seek you to be saved, and he is sovereign and he will seek you to keep you saved. In Luke 15 we see that Jesus is saving us, and we see in here in this parable is that Jesus will keep us saved and he will never let us go, ever, ever. So here we see in this parable that Christ is seeking his people. The next thing I want you to see is how does Christ seek us? It says in John 10 that his sheep hear his voice. His sheep hear his voice. Not not necessarily an audible voice, but through his word. Through his word. We also see in scripture that the spirit convicts us of sin, of righteousness and judgment, as it says in John 16. We see all throughout the Old Testament that God brings back his people through the prophets. He brings back his people through the prophets through his word but we see here if you have a look at, at verse 15 to 17 and you can have a look at this more in a in a, at a later time but we see there in verse 15 to 17 or 15 to 20 that on the back end of this parable we are to lovingly warn and bring back our brothers and sisters in Christ we are to lovingly warn and bring back our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's one of the ways that, 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 that God, that Christ brings us back. Through each other. Through each other. And that is actually one of the ways that we don't look down on others. That we care for them, that we love them, is that we warn them. And that we bring them back. James 5 says, blessed is the one who brings back someone who is wandering Blessed are those who bring back someone who is wandering. But how does Christ seek us? I'll get you to turn with me to Hosea chapter one, verses, uh, Sorry, Hosea chapter eleven, verses one to eleven. That can be found on page eight hundred and ninety-six. And we see here God's love for Israel, his people, and that he is bringing them back from where they have been scattered. And just as God brought them back physically, I want you to see the parallel with us spiritually where God brings back his people from wandering. Isaiah 11, verses 1 to 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. I was talking about salvation there, just as the Old Testament... Uh, Israel was saved and redeemed from Egypt, so we are saved from sin and from slavery to sin. But the more, verse 2, I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? Swords will flash in their cities, will destroy the bars of their gates and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn away from me. Even if they call to the Most High, he will by no means exalt them. Notice what God says here when his people wander away from him. He says this, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboiim? My heart is changed within me, and all my compassion is aroused. Can you see the heart of the Lord here when his people go astray? Can you see that the Lord's love is stirred up? He says, verse 9, I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, when he speaks through his word, it says when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from Assyria. And I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. The thing is, when the Lord roars, he speaks. And we see here a parallel with us. When we go astray from God, God brings us back trembling, as it says, like doves from Egypt, trembling back from the sin in which we slide back into. If you remember the, the great hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, it says this, Ode to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. The thing is, our hearts are so prone to wander. They're so prone to go astray. And yet it says that Christ leaves the 99 sheep who have not gone astray, and he goes and seeks that one sheep who has gone astray. He goes and seeks that one one person, one of his people who drifts from him. So we've seen who is Christ seeking? He's seeking his people, every single one of them. How does he seek us? He seeks us through his word. He brings us to repentance by his spirit. He uses other Christians at times. But why does he seek us? And we've touched on that because we go astray. I want you to have a look in your heart this morning. And this is something I have to look again and again in my own heart. Are you going astray? Even just the smallest amount. Maybe recently you felt more cold than usual. Maybe you felt distant from God. Maybe you haven't thought much of Christ throughout the day. Maybe you haven't depended on on him much. Maybe maybe when you thought of the cross recently and of Christ's work, your heart hasn't swelled with love as it should. Maybe you don't sorrow over your own sin enough or hate it enough. Maybe you you tolerate even just the smallest amount of sin or ignore the prodding of your conscience. Maybe in various ways you neglect God. And friends, I've just taken this from my own life. Friends, we are prone to wander and it should grieve us. It should grieve us to the very core. Friends, here we have great hope. If you have strayed, friends, if you are straying now, and if you stray in the future, which I can guarantee you, you will. Christ seeks out every single one of your sheep and he seeks you out. Maybe he's seeking you out this morning. The thing is all you have to do as he says is turn and and repent and confess your sin and seek him. Your job at the end of the day is not to worry about whether or not he's seeking you because he is seeking you. He already is regardless of, of, of what you believe. But friends, if you're straying this morning... Seek him anew. Seek him afresh. Go back to him. Bring it to him. Because you will always find that he will rejoice over you when you come back. What if you aren't straying at the moment? What if you're not straying at the moment? And that is so good as it says the 99 sheep. He leaves the 99 sheep. What if you're one of those sheep who aren't straying at the moment? Friends, you've got to stay the God. You've got to stick close to Christ. Christ has showed us where the straight and narrow path is in His Word. Friends, continue to soak up His Word. Continue to, to, to seek to obey Him in all things and stick close to Him. Continue to saturate yourself in prayer. Continue to keep up that intimacy with Him in prayer. Continue to dwell close to Him. As the hymn we sang just before, Lord, I need Thee every hour. I need Thee every hour. Friends, keep coming to the gathered meetings that we have together. Because Christ has said that He, it says where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them, in verse 20 here. For, for church discipline, for bringing a sinner back, and for every time God's people gather. I want you to imagine... That you're a child with your parent in the shopping centre. I want you to imagine this time that you're the child. The thing is, your parent tells you to not wander away. Stick close to me. Stop wandering off. Don't go over there. Stop looking at the toys. How do you stop from wandering? Well, you obey them. You can talk with them. As long as you're talking with them, I can guarantee you that you're probably not going to be I'm drifting away from them because I'll soon, soon not be able to hear you. But sometimes if you stop these vital things and you see something that's, that's attractive, you see, you see something that kind of is, is lit up and you, and you kind of, you kind of, mum's wandered over there, dad's wandered over there, and you kind of, you, you, you start wandering over there to look at the, the toys. You forget your parent. You seek after other things. You get more and more lost. And then the panic starts to set in when you realise that you've, you've, you're lost. You've got no hope. Where on earth are your parents? You're lost. Imagine if they drove off without you. But then mum or dad comes walking around the corner. Or they've, they've, they've gone to the front desk and a voice has come over the speaker to tell you to come back. Your parent has sought you out. They've called you back. And it's the exact same way that we see here that that Christ calls us back. And yet Christ is always watching. He is always watching. Parents sometimes don't know when their kids wander off, but Christ always does. He always knows. But how does He react? How does he react when his people come back? It says in verse 13, And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. It says there that he rejoices. He rejoices. He is happy. Luke 15, it says that there is great rejoicing in heaven when a sinner comes to be saved. In the same manner here, there is great rejoicing in heaven. And I can tell you who does the rejoicing most of all I used to think that it was the angels who you start singing, but no, it's actually God who rejoices even more. It says that that He rejoices. He rejoices. In Zephaniah 3, verse 7, it says that God rejoices over His people. He exalts over them. God never leaves any one of His people behind. And when He seeks them out and they come back to Him, He rejoices and He delights in it. John 18, verse 9 says, Christ is speaking... About this, he says, I have not lost any one of those that you've given me. Not a single one. Not a single one. In John 6, 37 to 40, Jesus says, I will lose none of all that he's given me, but raise them up on the last day. Can you fully and completely stray from God so that you are lost forever? The answer is no. The answer is no. Because God has promised that you will never be lost. If you do fully and finally fall fall away from all appearances, it means that you were never saved to begin with. Have a look with me at verse 14. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should perish. Friends, this is God's will. Friends, don't we have a great shepherd... Don't we have a good shepherd who cares for his sheep? Friends, he laid down his life. You, don't, you didn't have to do anything except trust in Christ. That's all you have to do. And yet Christ came down from heaven and he died upon a cross. He didn't just die physically, but he suffered under the weight for our straying, if you like. Are straying before we were Christians, are straying now that we are Christians. Every sin, past, present, future, is all gone and he suffered. He's a good shepherd. He seeks us out. He calls us. It says in Isaiah 40 that he holds us close to his chest. He provides for us. He deals with us tenderly when we're in sorrow and when we're burdened. He gives peace and rest to our souls. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, if we have this shepherd, goodness and mercy will follow us forever. This is your shepherd. This is your shepherd and he will not let any one of his sheep go. Friends, if you're here this morning and you are not one of his people, I want you to see the love that he has for his people. I want you to see the great love with which Christ showers on his people. He has come for sinners he has come for those who are lost. Friends, if you are without Christ this morning, come to Him. He's a good shepherd. He will save you. He will take you. He will hold you close. Friends, if you turn to Him, if you if you turn away from your sins and you trust in Him, and He will take you to be His own. It's not your job to... Work out whether or not he is seeking you. If you are one of his sheep, he will seek you out. Friends, if you do not know Christ this morning, seek him, come to him. God himself says, turn to me that you may live. Turn to me that you will live. And it says that he rejoices. He rejoices over that. And if God rejoices over that, then that is good indeed. Let me pray. Almighty Lord Jesus, we praise your glorious, wondrous name. It says in scripture that you are the shepherd and overseer of our souls. You are the one who watches over us, who cares for us, who does not let us stray far from you. When we do stray, you lovingly, patiently bring us back, you reel us in, until we are brought to a knowledge that we are indeed have strayed from you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. For indeed, if it was left all up to us, we would perish forever. If you did not seek us out, we would never seek you. If you did not bring us back, we would be lost forever. But praise be to you, Lord Jesus, that you seek us out, O great shepherd of the sheep. I pray that indeed we'll be thinking upon this today, indeed all the days of our life. May we be thinking of your care for us and your love for us. So the depth, the height, the breadth, the length of your love for us. I thank you, Lord Jesus. And I pray these things, all these things, in your blessed name. Amen.